Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. This is James Altucher, and I'm actually introducing Jason Surferap. That's not his real last name. He sold his real last name. In fact, over the past five years, as he'll describe, and I'll let him describe it, he has sold bits and pieces of his identity for more than a million dollars in total. And it seems surprising. And when I say identity, I don't mean he sold his soul or anything, but he like he like the logo on his shirt, his last name, he'll describe more. And what I think is fascinating about this interview is not that anyone go go out and sell their identity and make a million dollars, but the guy is insanely creative about how he has chosen to make money. And everybody's got that creativity inside of them, and he's going to describe how he did it. So we're going to jump right into the conversation with him, which is why I'm doing this intro, because the podcast actually starts off right mid conversation with him but let's get into it so so basically you you sold a million dollars worth of not t-shirts but essentially you offered to wear other people's t-shirts for a day so and you you sold a million dollars worth of that so an example is uh i might want to buy jamesaltershire.com you would wear a t-shirt with jamesaltershire.com and i might pay like a hundred dollars to you and that's what you did for like three years or two uh, years. Yeah, actually five years. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a good explanation because a lot of people do think that I just sold a crap load of t-shirts when I actually did not. Right. Like, and I think that's a typical thing. Like, oh, I'm gonna make a bunch of t-shirts, go to L.A. and sell them all. <laughs> but you you like basically sold your clothing. Like, you you turned yourself into a walking billboard, and that's what people paid a million dollars for. Yes. And you did it in this really interesting way where day one was $1, day two was $2, day three was $3, and day 365 was $365. Yeah, the, uh, it's funny. I kind of stumbled into that pricing structure through having an idea to sell it for $100 per day at first and realizing that that was only like 36000 bucks for a year. And I was like, well, that's making like half of what I was making in my 9 to 5 job. This is stupid for me to do it at this price. Um, so I kind of shared, you know, what I was thinking about with a couple friends and one came back with the dollar per day idea and he was like, you know, what does this add up to? So I hopped in Excel and I didn't know how to do any Excel summations or anything. So I just typed out one, two, three, four, all the way to 365 
and then selected them all and they added up to $66,000. And I was like, oh, that's a lot more attractive. And it's really interesting because it creates a sense of urgency where, you know, the pricing for the project became a piece of marketing, right? I mean, it was, it wasn't just, this is how much this things cost. It was get in earlier and it costs you less. Well, and it's funny because the pricing structure Oh, at least when you start, it almost makes it seem like it's cheap. But like you say, it adds up to uh, more than $100 a day. And $100 a day when you were first starting probably seemed very expensive to people. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with, uh, you know, this guy, me, you know, nobody from Florida that, you know, has no credibility, has no social proof. I mean, no one knew who I was. Um, and, you know, still no one knows who I am. But, That's you know, that was, that, well, that, and that was really interesting, right? I mean, I $365 to me was not a huge amount of money that someone would spend on all the stuff I was doing on a day because I wasn't just putting a shirt on, as you know. But um, it, it was still, when you start at $1, there's a lot of like coercing that you have to do to get people to understand that it is worth that amount You know, later on. it's just This is just a way to price it interestingly. I don't know if you know this, and this is kind of off topic, but that, that the, the issue you came across was a, 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 a famous math problem. Yes. Yeah, so over the years, yeah, I've had a lot of people send this to me like, have you seen the boat? And they send me this equation. I just laugh because I'm like, you don't even know. I hopped in Excel and like typed this out. I had no clue there was an equation for this. Yeah. So, so like Gauss, when he was like, I don't know, six years old or whatever, his teacher was bored and didn't want to work. And his teachers just said to everyone in the class, add up all the numbers from one to 100 and turn it in. <laughs> and he figured that would give him like an hour or two where he could just goof off. And Gauss, who's like six years old, um, <laughs> handed, handed in like three seconds later, handed him the answer because it's just like if you add, it, 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 I think it's just if you add all the numbers from one to 100, it's like 100 times 101 divided by two. And that's the answer. So right. you had 365 times 366 divided by two. And that's your $66,000. Even you saying that now still confuses the hell out of me. So <laughs> he, he had this nifty way of figuring it out. It's like that's amazing. You know, you know one plus a hundred is a hundred and one. Two plus ninety nine is a hundred and one. Right. Three plus ninety. Anyway, it's, it's all on the side. But it's funny that you brought broke out Excel. So you had you had a third solution to the problem. Uh, <laughs> a as really just adding it up. A really terrible one, but it still got the end result. So right, and so. So you did that for five years. What you just out of curiosity? I don't know if you mentioned this in your book. What'd you do on the first day of the second year? Did was it back to one dollar or was it three hundred sixty six dollars? Yeah. So I, you know, when I first thought of the idea for Irie or shirt, I, you know, it wasn't just a one year and done. I mean, it was it was basically like I wanted to create a new medium for advertising where I thought that you know this this human element to talking about brands and and wearing a t shirt was just the start of it. It was really just hey, I'm a person and this is how I feel about this company. Um, you know, this is how I'm talking about them because, you know, people don't line up to watch a billboard change, right? Like no one stands underneath it and goes, oh, let's wait and see what new ad pops up. Oh, it's tied. Great. Um, but people flock to the website because they want to hear a human being talk about their life and what they've got going on. And, and if a brand can be a part of that, that was great. So, you know, I, I saw a, an opportunity where at least I thought I saw an opportunity where I could have like 10 people wearing shirts the next year and then like 15. And of course, it didn't work out that way, just like all kind of projections and, and revenue uh, thoughts to go. But um, yeah, we were it was two people the second year at double the price. So it became two dollars per day, uh, you know, basically for each person. Um, and in the third year, it was uh, it was five people at five dollars per day. 
Uh, and in the fourth year, we kept that price because I really saw there was a, a pretty big like resistance to paying more than about $1,000 per day, um, even to have five YouTube videos created, you know, five people tweeting to their audiences, um, you know, just five pieces of content all day long. Uh, was still kind of, you know, a thousand bucks per day was a big spend for companies. And I was in a really weird place where the small businesses couldn't afford it. And then big businesses, it wasn't enough of a spend. So I was like, ah, oh, this is, this is really not great. And I, I kind of fell into, you know, the, the, de the decline of my business through my pricing structure, actually. So, so wait, I want to, I want to get back to that because that's, that's very interesting how you creatively tried to, um, uh, expand your business in different ways, but I want to, I want to kind of, um, uh, still start with the highlights. So, so you sold, you essentially, uh, sold your, your body as a billboard for five years to, yep. to brands and you successfully did this and you sold, as you say, a million dollars worth of, worth of yourself during this time. And now, um, you're, you, you've done something else, which is very interesting and very creative. Uh, you sell your last name. So you used to be, uh, jasonheadsets.com and now you're Jason Surfer app. Is that how you pronounce it? Surfer app? That is, you got it. So, so did you legally change your name to jasonheadsets.com? <laughs> I did. I actually went to the courthouse. I sat in front of a judge. I had a lawyer. Uh, it was very weird and awkward and I felt very out of place because everyone around me was going through like divorce cases and child custody and like real life issues. And then here's me sitting like, uh, I just had a crazy idea and then like I'm going through with it. So I'm changing my last name. Um, and so that, you know, the judge reading, you know, I was really hoping it wasn't going to like read it out loud. Um, luckily he was like, Oh, last name petition. And, and, you know, called up my previous last name, which is Sadler, which is normal. Um, and so I went up there and, you know, he asked me a bunch of really like penetrating questions about, you know, bankruptcy and, and, you know, felonies and stuff, none of which I had done, but he, you know, that was the I, question. I see because, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but he asked yep. you these questions because some people try to change their names because they're trying to avoid a Google search on a prior felony or something. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, and I it would have been nice of, uh, my lawyer, or, you know, he did tell me a couple of those things, but I don't, I, I just don't think I was prepared to like stand in front of a group of people and have those questions asked, even though I hadn't done it. It was still super awkward, but yeah, so it was legally changed twice. You know, my license right now says Jason Surfer app. Um, and like if you travel out of the country, does your pay passport say Jason Surfer app or you'd have to get a new passport? So I, I knew I, w I didn't know how long I was going to do this last name change thing. And so I've done it twice now and I'm not going to do it again. Um, but I didn't change my passport and I haven't traveled out of the country since 2012. And, and I don't know, I was kind of nervous that if I kept changing my passport every year, it would just be a big red flag and no one wants to get, you know, the like extra airport security check. So I was like, right. eh, I think I'll leave my passport until I finally decide on what I'm going to stick with for the rest of my life. Right. Although when they put it in the computer, don't don't they kind of like there's no Jason Sadler, like you won't, it won't add up. If you, if you actually traveled out of the country, I bet you'll have a problem with your passport. Great, thanks, James. <laughs> I just want to—I just want to point out problems before they happen. I'm just—I'm I'm looking out for you, Jason. I'm already nervous for the white gloves, but now I'm extra nervous. No, yeah, I'll change it. You know, when I—you know—the end of this year, once this surfer app term is up, um, I'm—I've got a name I'm finally going to pick, and um, then I'll change the passport and I'll keep that name for the rest of my life. So. Okay, and I, and I'm going to get to that in a second too. So so, uh, JasonHeadsets.com. How much did Headsets.com pay you? So this is really interesting. Uh, you know, I, I had 
done a bunch of research, which you can imagine people selling their last name. There wasn't a lot of stuff that came up. Um, and probably, there wasn't, probably nothing came up. Nothing came up. I even went to like the third page of Google, which you know is like extensive research when you get that far in. Um, yes. and, and so it's like hard work. It is. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I bought the domain by my last name.com, which shockingly was available. Um, and I, I started an auction cause I figured that, you know, just setting a price for it seemed really arbitrary. Um, and I didn't think like the dollar per day pricing thing that I had used for years would work. And I was kind of tired of it anyway. So I said, you know, I'm just going to do this as an auction. I'm going to set it for 30 days. I'm going to start it at $0. Cause I think that's going to be kind of cool. Um, and see where it goes. And in the first 24 hours, it got up over $30,000. Um, You're kidding. Who was, was bidding? Lots of people. Uh, there were board game companies. Um, I think he, I think we have. I think Lewis Howes. You know Lewis Howes. Yeah. He was. He bid on it. Um, some realtors in Canada. It was really like four realtors in Canada. Very weird. No realtors in the U.S. I don't know what happened there. Um, yeah, just a bunch Here of companies. There, I can tell you. <laughs> so yeah, there were you know there were probably about forty different bidders in the first twenty four hours. Um, you know, the price started, you know, five bucks was a bid, 20 bucks was a bid, and then it got up to like 2000 and then 5,000 that went all the way up. So headsets.com actually ended up, they were, they bought it at 45,500 bucks on the last day of the auction in the last minute of the auction. There was a little bidding war at the end. Um, and so they ended up winning it for 45 grand. Do you think there was a little bit of the auction fever in there that people kind of get into the game-like aspects. So rather than having a, a true eye on return on investment, they got into the idea that I want to win this auction. Yeah, absolutely. And it was really interesting because, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with eBay. I actually, in college, bought and sold a lot of cell phones on eBay. Um, and there was like a, the, the, the lull of the auction was like two and a half weeks where there wasn't any bidding at all. I mean, it was just dead. It was, I felt like I was in the desert. Um, and then in the last pretty much like 48 hours, there was more bidding. And I, I knew that was going to happen. But when, you know, when you're putting your last name for sale on the Internet and it's, you know, nothing's happening for two and a half weeks. And uh, it was really kind of scary because I was like, all right, well, you know, it may not go up anymore. And this is kind of not an exciting story. But luckily it did. So so did you did you um, kind of how did you start off the auction? Did you start off by calling your friends and saying, hey, put in a bid <laughs> and we'll see what happens? Yeah, so I, you know, over the years, I've really learned a lot about kind of building buzz and, you know, launching projects. And so, you know, I, I pretty much went to, um, you know, my email list and, you know, it was a couple thousand people. And I said, hey, I have a new project launching. I am, I'm not going to put it on this email list because I use this for like my I wear your shirt stuff and other things, um, you know, sign up for this new list. And there were only about 600 people, you know, through posting you know, people to sign up for this new project. I didn't tell them what it was. I just said it was a, a new project I was launching. Um, so that list is where I went first. That was that was pretty much how it started. Um, and I reached out to a couple close friends, you know, like anybody does when you're launching something and said, hey, would you share this? Most of them didn't respond, which is okay because we all get busy and no one, you know, everyone gets those requests. Uh, but yeah, that, that really, that 600 person email list really kind of catapulted, you know, that site forward um, and kind of got it shared everywhere. So, so um, did you get any, um, while the auction was happening, was there any publicity on this? Like, did you get in the news? Yeah, I actually, so over the years, I've worked on and off with, a, with one PR company 
um, for my own personal stuff. I've worked with lots of PR companies for other company stuff, but um, you know, this one company, Asylum PR, they were they were kind of on board uh, with me from the start, and so they they started pitching it once some bidding happened because just the idea of it is not really pitch worthy. Um, but yeah, we got some pretty good early press, you know, especially after the first forty eight hours. Uh, CNN Money picked up the story, and it was on the homepage of CNN. Um, and there were you know Huffington Post picked it up. There were a bunch of people that picked it up early. Adweek picked it up. Um, and so there was some some really great traction up front, and and I didn't I didn't really think that press was going to do too much, just because I've I've actually had a lot of good press over the years, and I've noticed that none of it really does much of anything, to be honest. And if people who are at press companies listen to this, I'm sorry, but um, no, it's totally true. I, I yeah, you know, I've been involved in 20 companies. I've hired multiple PR firms. I have never seen any article or even a TV appearance that actually has made a dent in my revenues anywhere. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was on the Today Show and I, I, I literally thought that was going to make my business. And I wrote about this in my book. And actually, a local story here in Jacksonville, Florida, where I live, got syndicated to like 27 cities around the U.S. And that made more of an impact than the Today Show did, um, especially financially. So, so yeah, uh, you know, CNN picked up. So the, the good thing about that PR, and I can actually track this back, which is awesome, because most of the time PR, you can't see a return on it. Um, the PR company getting the the buy my last name story on CNN, uh, the CFO of headsets.com, that's how they found the auction and they were the ones who ended up winning the bid. So I can directly but, correlate. But PR firms are pretty expensive. So like how much did you pay the PR firms over the course of, of this uh, auction? Yeah, I don't even know if they care if I say this, but I will because I'm a transparent guy like you. Um, I just told them I would give them 10% of whatever the final auction price was. So we didn't oh, pay oh. anything up front. It was basically... The harder you work, the more people you can get to bid, the more money you can make. And and I'd worked with them over the years, so they were a really cool company, you know, kind of happy to work on a crazy project like this. So, and, and I'm going to get to your, your costs on your various different business ventures in a second, but overall, selling your last name was profitable. You spent $4,500, you made $42,000 or $41,000, and, um, and then all you had to do was the expenses of changing your name. Yeah, uh, about... 1500 bucks in name change stuff between a lawyer and the court and you know paperwork um, and then I donated another 10% of the auction price to a charity each year so um, really I walked away with about 75% profit um, you know on that on that project not, uh, not a bad margin it's sort of the dream of the internet to have a high margin <laughs> business like that yeah, um, yeah. So, so then then um, you switch from headsets.com to surfer app how did that happen uh, you know, when I actually when I sold my last name the first time, I I didn't have intentions on doing it again. I just thought it would be this is a this is a crazy thing to do. You know, my mom had gone through a divorce, so that has why that's why I did it in the first place. It wasn't just because I wanted to do some gimmicky thing. Um, I had like a personal reason, and I had multiple last names throughout my life. So, um, you know, I, I was just gonna do it once and then pick a last name after that. And and actually, in the first three months, Headsets.com had a quarter of a million dollar increase in sales from all the PR and from all the attention. Um, this was, you know, when the auction finished, it was everywhere. I was on Fox and Friends. It was on the homepage of USA Today. I mean, they actually saw an actual good bump in 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 money, which was great. I mean, they're a big company, but um, still, they could they could see that bump. And when I heard that, when they told me all that stuff, because you know I didn't know, all I saw was the stuff from my side. Um, I was like, you know what? I think I could probably do this again. I've been thinking about writing a book for a long time. The byline of a book seems like a pretty valuable space that a lot of people just, you know, their name goes there and everyone knows their name when they're attached to a book. So um, I think that I could do this a second time. That'll be the last time I do it. You know, the, kind of the big offering here is I'll change it everywhere like I did before, but also put it on the byline of my book, which I think is a pretty interesting spot. 
Right. So, so your book is Creativity for Sale, and the subheading is How I Made a Million Dollars Wearing T-Shirts and How You Can Turn Your Passion into Profit to by Jason Surferapp, formerly Jason Sadler and JasonHeadsets.com. I know. I have, I have like the longest byline ever. <laughs> no, I love it. And, you know, um, the guys who make your book, um, uh, Roundtable Companies, they did my comic book, The Altature Confidential. I, I did not put that together, and, and I'd seen your comic book on their desk when I'd gone into meetings, and I remember seeing it, and then um, after my book had come out and, and we started chatting, um, it was, all of it came together. So I actually, I have your comic book downstairs. I actually just got Choose Yourself as well. Um, I loaded up on my uh, my Altature reading. Uh, but yeah, very cool, small world. So, so it's funny, though. You say um, creativity for sale, and what really, though, and you, you allude to this a little bit, you know, it's almost like you were selling your, it's almost like you've been on a quest for your identity because it's like you say in the book, you were, you were Jason Sadler because your, your mom married your stepdad. And I guess you, you kind of imply you changed your name to your stepdad's last name. Is that correct? Yeah. And then now that she was getting divorced from him, you had no last name that you felt emotionally attached to. So I sort of see this as, you know, not only was it an incredibly clever way to make money, and obviously it was very profitable to you, but, um, it, you know, it's kind of combined with this, you're almost kind of reaching out and searching for your own identity. Like, who were you? You were Jason something, but you didn't know what it was. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's funny, my girlfriend, Caroline, who's just been, you know, amazing inspiration for me throughout all my projects, you know, when I when I started doing the last name stuff and like writing the copy for the website, you know, she she helped me write a lot of that copy because I'm I'm so bad at writing copy for myself, like about myself. Um, and and I can write, you know, I can write a blog post on anything. I you know, that's fine. But when it comes to like you know, describe yourself and then five words or whatever. I'm just so bad at it. So I actually told her, I was like, will you do me a favor and take a crack at this? And she wrote that, she wrote a line basically on the website that was, you know, I've never gotten my sense of self from my name. You know, I've always gotten, you know, my identity through the things that I've done in life, through my projects, through my hard work, through everything else. And it's so true, James. I mean, I, I really, you know, I, I think like everybody else, you kind of float through life, you know, and you go to college and you're trying to figure out what you want to do. And I got a job and I didn't like that job. And I just, you know, I, I kind of felt lost in the world. I didn't know where my place was. And all these crazy projects really fulfilled me. I mean, it, it really makes me feel like this is what I'm meant for. These are the things I'm really good at. You know, they're really hard. Uh, they're not easy. And a lot of times they're really stressful. But, you know, I get the most enjoyment out of doing them. And, and you know, so, you know, selling myself creatively um, through all these different projects has really been fun. And it really has created, you know, I'm, I'm that guy, right? I mean, that's what I'm known for. So um, I do really enjoy it. Well, it's funny because, you know, the Internet has allowed us in general to transform the way we look at ourselves and the way we look at the world. And traditionally, of course, you identify yourself by your, you know, the name of your father and his father and his father and so on. And that's your last name. Um, and that's how we've done it all the time. But you've been finding more identity in your creativity and so you literally chose to name yourself as an outlet of your creativity. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, I, I so, you're, so Caroline, your girlfriend, she hit it dead on in the copy. I mean, if I'm just thinking out loud, if I was writing this copy, I would have just simply said, I have no idea what my last name is <laughs> or what it should be. And I need your help. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. We've joked about this a lot. Like, I wish I could just go to Jason because 
that's what I feel most comfortable with. Like, I know I'm not like Madonna and I'm not Prince and I don't, you know, maybe I don't like deserve to have just a one name, but I, I don't feel like I need a middle name or a last name. I feel like this is like a societal thing that we have to identify people with so that you know which Jason is different from which Jason. But yeah, I just, you know, I, I, I've had multiple fathers throughout my life. You know, I, I've had multiple jobs, but all these things, like, none of that stuff has defined me other than just Jason, right? Like that's the thing um, that has defined me. So it's really interesting. And you brought up a really good point about, you know, we look at our last names as like, this is our lineage. This is what we do. This is what we're, you know, maybe destined for. And a lot of that, you know, what your parents do is for a lot of people, that's what they end up doing or something similar, right? And, and I just, not that I didn't like what my mom did. I just, I always thought that there was something bigger for me out there. There was something different for me out there. Even as a little kid, I just was always kind of pushing boundaries and doing things differently and um, getting in trouble, not big trouble, but just I was always kind of different and unique. And I think that that's the Internet has really helped me kind of put that out into the world. Well, well, a, a couple of points on that. One is I noticed in your book how like you met a guy um I think his name's Jason, also named Jason. You met him at uh, South by Southwest. And like yeah. suddenly you came up with ideas for him. You're an idea machine. So you came up with ideas for him and he made a business out of it and he quit his job. And now he's making six figures a year doing the business you suggested for him. Yep. So uh, essentially you, you, you're and the Internet's your, your tool chest and you're an idea machine on this tool chest. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I'm also in the the interesting position where, and I've learned this about myself over the years, I don't just come up with ideas, but I execute them, right? There's that great quote that like, you know, ideas are great, execution is better, whatever it is. Um, but but, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you there because I don't think, people always say ideas are a dime a dozen. I don't think that's true. Not everybody came up with the idea. I mean, the internet's been around, you know, the consumer internet's been around for over 20 years. Nobody came up with the idea until you did it two years ago or a year ago or whenever um, to sell your last name. You were the yeah. first to do it. And it's an obvious idea. But so so I don't believe ideas are a dime a dozen. Ideas are very hard. And execution is execution is just a subset of ideas. Like you have to have the idea. Then you have to have ideas how to execute. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I you know, maybe it's a part of that thing where you just don't give yourself enough credit because it's something that comes so natural to me. I mean, I just I don't have any problem thinking of ideas. Right. I mean, there's just I never at a at a loss of ideas um, or anything like that. So, I, yeah, I guess it's just kind of the way that I look at the world and the way that I think. So so so, um, you know, you mentioned your mom a lot in your book and the advice your mom gives you and it's always you've always mentioned her favorably i'm sure maybe she gave you some bad advice at points but you you only mention good advice she gives you why don't you take your mom's last name when, when you come up with your real name so my yeah so this is interesting my mom changed her last name to her parents name um and so that'd be my grandparents and and while i love their name you know that names are going to carry forward with her so or you know or whatever. Um, and, and I just, I don't know, I just, I wanted to do something that was different. And so when I started, you know, kind of earlier this year, started thinking about, you know, what last name do I want for the rest of my life? I, I was trying to actually look deeper into my family lineage because I love my grandparents and they've supported me over the years. And, and I really appreciate that. But, you know, where could I go further back? And, and actually, uh, my great grandfather owned a power company in the 50s and was an entrepreneur himself. He was a serial entrepreneur, started multiple businesses, um, you know, was a self-made millionaire, basically. 
and I didn't know any of this until, you know, I started talking to my grandmother about it and learning more about it. And I still want to dive even deeper because I just think it's so interesting that, you know, maybe there's a little bit of genetics in this, right? Like, I don't know if it skipped a generation with my mom because she's she's not incredibly entrepreneurial. Um, but, you know, it's, it's really interesting that I've kind of taken the path that I have. And I didn't even know that about my great grandfather. So um, I actually I'm going to take his last name, which I'm, I'm not revealing to the world until January 1st, because there are some things in life that I keep secret uh, for at least a short period of time. Sure. Well, well, now you're still a representative of, you know, your Jason Surfer app. I got to buy the Surfer app. Exactly. Still. Exactly. And look, it's I'm, free. I'm, it's free. I'm on the headsets.com website right now. It's beautiful. It's a clean website. I might buy myself a headset. Um, how much did Surfer app pay you? So Surfer app, so I did the auction again, uh, started at $0, you know, went back to that list, um, you know, and, and pushed it out across social media like I did before. And um, the auction was, you know, it was interesting. New York Times uh, contacted me to do a story about kind of all the stuff that I was doing. And it just happened to be right in the middle of the auction uh, for the second last name sale. And so, you know, I, I, I put it out on Facebook and just said, hey, full transparency. I'm getting interviewed by the New York Times. You know, if you wanted to bid, if you were thinking about bidding and you were going to wait till the end, now would pre probably be a better time. And I literally sat with the New York Times reporter and we watched like 30 bids come in. Um, and uh, Surfer app was one of the ones that kept popping up. And, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And it, it ended up being a friend of mine that I knew who was basically starting this, this surfing app, which is kind of like Yelp for surfers, where they can log their sessions and find you know, like places to surf and eat and, and help nonprofit organizations in, in countries around the world. Um, and so, yeah, they ended up, you know, through that, you know, that bidding time, they bid 50,000 bucks to basically beat everybody out who was bidding during when I was talking to that reporter. Um, and that bid stuck until the end. So their bid held strong at 50 grand until the auction ended. So, you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, you mentioned a lot of things casually, like, oh, you're on the Today Show, the New York Times called you, you're on CNN Money, you got this PR firm. It's not that easy to get, like, the New York Times to call you and want to sit down with you for a bunch of days and write an article about you. Like, it, and, and reading in your book, you went to a lot of conferences, you were really kind of networking and putting yourself out there and already doing consulting and helping people. So you built up a network. You, you had 600 people on the email list for this. That's not a small number. You built up a network. Like, what would you recommend to someone who has absolutely zero um, to build up the first thing they should do to build up their network? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting point you bring up. I mean, I these things do come naturally to me. And I, and I think I think a lot of them happen organically because of all the hard work that no one sees, right? Like you mentioned, right? Like all the networking, all the, the putting in the years of effort, you know, the time when no one cared at the beginning of I Wear Shirt, when no one even cared that it existed. But uh, yeah, so, you know, stuff for people out there who want to do these things, they, they want to reach out to, or they want to get seen by big media outlets or whatever. And, you know, where I started was just reaching out to my contacts and just asking people and saying, hey, here's a project that I'm working on. Here's some social proof for the project. You know, maybe something's happened. Maybe something's, you know, someone's been on board with it. Um, do you know anybody who might be interested in talking about it? And and I'll send those those personal emails. I will not mass email people, especially people that I know and trust. Uh, but I go to those people first on every project that I do, on everything that I do, because someone always knows someone, right? I mean, it's just it's that, that couple degrees of separation that we just don't even know exists with our friends. And um, and my first New York Times interview back in 2009. Uh, was one connection away, and I didn't even know it, was, it existed. I just I started asking people if they knew anybody that would talk about, you know, I reassured, and someone's like, yeah, I know a New York Times reporter I went to college with her or whatever, and, you know, gave me the introduction, and sure enough, that was my first, you know, gigantic media outlet um, that interviewed me, and 
And, and yeah, so it's, it's really just starting with your existing context and people devalue their existing list because social media is so attractive and, and you know, the, the virality of Facebook and Twitter is, is so amazing. And it's not. What's amazing is the trust that you've built with people over the years and that those people are willing to put their neck out for you and recommend someone to you who will actually, you know, do you a favor and, and help you. I, I think that's really true. Like, I've noticed this. I've always, I, I always have a hard time asking people to do me a favor. Like, I, I feel like a lot of people are like that. You, you, you know, you become much more of a, a giver than an asker. I don't want to say taker because that has a negative connotation, but it's hard to ask people to do a favor for you. But I found when I was doing this podcast, when I started doing this podcast, I didn't really know all the people I wanted to interview. Mm -hmm. And what I found was is that it is a pretty small world. And that you, pe most people, like they say everybody in the world is six degrees of separation from each other, but actually most people that you'd like to know are probably more like one to three degrees of separation from you, and, and even more like one or two degrees of separation. And I find that's true. Like even the most incredible people are only like one or two degrees of separation away. Absolutely. And, and like the phrase that has come into my brain over the years is, you don't get what you don't ask for. Right. And this applies to like every project I put out into the world. It's me asking to get paid for something really weird. But it's also in the connections to meet people that I didn't know or anything. And if you don't ask, you can't get whatever that thing is. And, and people are afraid to ask. And I think that's because asking has become, especially through like Twitter. I mean, it's, it's just like every company is asking for you to buy their stuff at this discounted price. And, and that looks like the ask. I mean, it, that doesn't have to you don't have to ask things like that. You know, you can ask them in a personal way. You can ask them in a way where you, you know, you really just want to get help or you want to get things. And, and I think that's that's been the big thing for me that I've just never been afraid to ask for stuff over and over and over again and sometimes to a fault and sometimes you know it gets me in trouble and sometimes it you know it, it gets me awesome things um, but I'm just not afraid to ask well well you know you mentioned something that you didn't like for instance when you were emailing your contacts you sent personal emails you didn't send a mass email to your contacts and so what that suggests to me and and this is what I'm discovering also is that asking is kind of part art part science like people say Oh, it, it never hurts to ask, but that's not really true. Like if you just kind of spam asked all your friends, it probably would hurt your relationships with your friends and your later asks of them. Like you kind of have to go 90% of the way there so they can go come back and say with that final 10% and meet you and say yes. Like you have to work for the ask. Absolutely. And you have to make it easy for the other person to say yes to whatever it is, right? I mean, if you just, if you make it hard for them and they have to do work, you're defeating the point of asking them for a favor. Uh, so, you know, yeah, you're, you're definitely right. I mean, whenever I send these emails, again, I try and show some type of social proof so that they say, you know, they nod their head and go, yeah, okay, this is cool. I want to help Jason with this. Or, you know, like if you're asking for, you know, to interview somebody or to, to meet somebody, you know, you probably say like, oh, I've interviewed these people so far. And so that they know it's a credible place if, if the person you're trying to reach out to for some reason has never heard of you. Um, you know, so yeah, you do have to do that and you have to be creative with it. Um, and I think that's one thing where people are just lazy. And I don't mean, I don't mean to like lump everybody together in this like laziness, uh, you know, pot, but people are, they don't want to put in the extra effort. They don't want to put in the work. And I, I don't understand why people, you know, don't get it when they don't get the results they want, but they're not willing to put in the effort to get those results. I think that's incredibly important. Like to, to ask anything, um, even to give requires work because not everybody right. wants what you want to give, but particularly to ask, you have to do almost a hundred percent of the work in order to get someone to say yes. Now you mentioned the phrase social proof. Can you, can you define what that means? 
Yeah, so social proof is something like, you know, like I've name dropped, you know, the Today Show and the New York Times and all that stuff. You know, that's that's proof that um, I've been accepted socially by some other medium or platform or whatever. And, and that can be, if anything, if you're running a conference and you have, you know, a sold out conference, your social proof is that you sold out your conference, whether that's last year or coming up. Um, you know, if you're a writer and your book has been on a bestseller list, you can say I've been on this bestseller list. That's your social proof. It, it's so true because... Um... Uh, you know, I just went through this. I have a book that just came out, the the power of no, with, with that I wrote with my wife, and um, we we were aiming to be on the New York Times bestseller list um, because it does for no other reason than it adds that kind of you know social proof. And we ended up getting on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list, and we beat out everybody who ended up on the New York Times bestseller list. But for some reason, you know, they have a different algorithm or it's curated. We weren't selected to be on the New York Times list. So it was it was kind of annoying. We got some social proof, but not everything we wanted. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up. I mean, I, I didn't know if we were going to get to, you know, publishing and, and book stuff on this. And, and you talk a lot about this often. Uh, but I'm, a, you know, I'm a first time author and I went about writing a book in an incredibly different way than most people. And and I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't care about those lists. I mean, I totally get that, like being on a New York Times bestseller list is such a great thing to say. And, and it does add a lot of social proof and credibility to you. But um I don't know. To me, that just, I don't know. That was never important. I wasn't writing my book because I wanted it to be on that list. And it's to no fault of people who want to be on it because I think that that's a great thing and an amazing achievement. But you're right. It's a complete algorithm now. You know, so it's being on that list is not what it used to be. Being on that list now is go spend a hundred thousand bucks on some company that can get you on that list by buying a bunch of books around the world. And like what, you know, now you're just basically buying the title, right? Well, why not just write the title? And then, you know, who's going to call you out on it? Because at this point, the title really doesn't mean as much as it used to when it was real organic growth that got you on those lists. At least that's, you know, what I've heard from the research that I've done. And I may be generalizing a lot, but, you know, a lot of these lists, it just becomes how you can game the system to get to the top of those things. No, it, it's really true. Um, uh, it, it, it's funny because I was sort of upset at myself after this incident <laughs> um, because here I wrote the, my prior book was uh, Choose Yourself. Yeah, uh, where I'm saying ignore these old institutions and and have your success come from within rather than from any kind of um, praise on the outside. And I was kind of not following my own adv advice, and of course I was slapped for it. So uh, I learned I learned my lesson. Um, but you know, it's interesting with this book, creative that you wrote, creativity for sale. This is kind of your your third creative idea that I want to point out, which is that you sold the bottom, uh, you sold an ad at the bottom of every page and it's ingenious. Like I'm looking at page 41 and you have your whole page and then at the very bottom in a slightly different formatted text, startupsanonymous.com is a place for entrepreneurs to ask questions and share stories anonymously without fear of retribution. So you, you have an ad on every page. I do. And, you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I had never written a book. Um, I started to really just I had a lot of people over the years tell me, Jason, you've got such an interesting story. You should write a book. I was never really like a, a big writer. I mean, I wrote some blog posts and stuff, but nothing felt like I could write an actual book. And, you know, and then I read, you know, my buddy Paul Jarvis wrote, you know, you know what it takes to be an author just to write a book. You, you don't you don't get christened with this phrase because you're born that way. It's just you just put words on paper and you become an author. Um, and so you know, when I started thinking about this, I, I reached out to some friends and I said, you know, what? OK, so what's going on in the publishing world? Who's the big publisher I should reach out to? Like, how does this work? And actually, Chris Brogan, you know, wrote me back and he was like, 
you don't need a publisher. Like gone are the days of, of people needing publishers, especially when you have any amount of audience whatsoever. And even if you don't have an audience, you really don't need a publisher. Um, and, and so I, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And one thing that he said was like, you know, don't plan on your book, you know, making money. And a bunch of people said this as well, not just Chris, but, you know, your, your book's not going to make you money. It's just going to be a marketing tool. Um, and I was like, oh, well, that's kind of frustrating because I'm going to spend months of my life writing this book and I'm not going to make any money off of it. Like I get that I could make money long term, but that seems like a big waste of time. And I don't know. I just I don't like doing things that don't don't make me money. And I don't you know, I don't want to sound conceited, but I, I like to make money. I need to pay my living. I'm an entrepreneur. I don't work for a company. So. Um, so yeah, I sat down and I said, what are the things that I've done that's, that are interesting that I could put into this book? Uh, I've been the guy who's gotten sponsorships. I've worked with over 1,600 brands up to this point of, of getting ready to write this book. What if I offered a sponsorship on every page of the book and on the covers and inside flaps um, you know, and, and basically crowdfunded you know, my book before I wrote it? Um, and, and I did it. And you know, it, it was really hard. It wasn't as easy as I probably made it look because- No, kind a, of book, a book is a nightmare to write. I can tell you, I've written 13 books, and each time I say to myself, I am never going to do this again, and then six months later, I write another book. Well, I think I can speak for everybody that we're glad that you keep writing books because I'm just Thank like you. halfway through Choose Yourself, and it's it's awesome. I mean, you know it's awesome. It's a great book. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, so you know what's funny for me is that the process of writing the book wasn't anywhere near as hard as it was to get 204 companies on board as sponsors. Um, I actually wrote the book in two weeks. Um, probably faster than most authors write it, and and maybe that's reflective in the the the, the book itself, and it's not a a great read that's going to be on any bestseller list. But I don't know. I'm really happy with it. I've I've had some really great response from it. But the sponsorship angle it. of it, I, I enjoyed reading it. I thought it was I thought it was well done, and I think you've solved a lot of problems that many beginning entrepreneurs have. I I think it's a really impressive book. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean it's a and it's one of those things where you know, and I, I want to tell people this that I sent over. 1,200 emails, me personally, 1,200 personal emails to land 204 sponsors in this book. Um, and so where people might think like, oh, you've got a big network and you've got a big audience. No, I put in the work. And if you know that it takes about a minute to write an email, um, that's 1,200 minutes. And again, we know I'm not a math whiz, so I can't break that down into hours for you. But that was a lot of time spent just responding to people who were interested, explaining to them how this would work. Um, but I was, you know, I was very fortunate. I, I made $75,000 writing this book or, you know, getting sponsors for this book before I writ a, wrote a single word or sold a single copy of the book. So I basically wrote myself a book advance and made money um, on a book when people are saying you can't make money on writing books. And uh, do you have a sense yet on how the ads are working for any of the people who sponsored a page? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, I haven't done a lot of due diligence and followed up with a lot of people. I do know that a good handful of the advertisers have sent me emails like, "Hey, Jason, like I've I've had a bunch of people email me." Um, I do know that the uh, the inside flap uh, company design extensions, who actually built the website for Creativity for Sale, um, they've gotten some inquiries and stuff. And um, yeah, it's I don't know that it's been the best ROI immediately, but I think a book is, you know, the way I thought about it was it's a captive ROI, right? It's, it's one of the few things we have left in life where you're not holding your phone while you're doing it. You know, you're staring at a book and you're reading it and you're in, you know, you're in it. So um, I just think that, it, you know, these companies, if they're going to be around for a while, they're going to be in my book forever. So, you know, it's a good opportunity. I love this one ad on page 35. Uh, this, I pointed this out to my wife last night. I said this ad's insane. Um, the ad is, we're pretty sure if Tupac Shakur <laughs> were alive today, he'd use lessaccounting.com as a small business accounting software. 
I, I love the less accounting guys. I'm so happy that people got creative with their their ads because there's no logos, there's no QR codes. And, you know, for people listening, you might think like, oh, this book's going to look like a, you know, one of the money pages things you get in the mail. It's just like all these companies. It's not. It's they're really well designed. They're they're very simple. You know, it's 140 characters, so people couldn't write their life story. Uh, but the less accounting guys are awesome. I love Alan and Stephen. Um, and funny enough, they actually also just started sponsoring my podcast that I have, uh, Shameless Plug. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, it's 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 fun. To, I had really a lot of fun reading those um, those sponsor messages even after the book was done because just to see how some of them even related to the pages they were on was really interesting. Yeah, I like this one on page pages twenty six through I guess thirty one. Um, page twenty six is knock knock. Page twenty seven <laughs> is who's there. Page 28 is oink, oink. 29 is oink, oink, who. Page 30 is make up your mind. Are you a pig or an owl? I have no clue who did that. So that's like the super interesting thing is like, you know, someone created an email and never responded to it. They paid for the advertisement and they put a knock-knock joke in the book. And I I don't know, maybe that's just kind of their funny way of saying like, this was a silly thing to do. So I'm going to put something silly in the book. But I'm okay with it. Uh, I think it's I, I kind of assumed that page 31, designsextensions.com, was the guy who made the knock-knock joke. <laughs> it wasn't them, but I think it leads perfectly to them, which is funny. So, um, And I think it's really interesting. I mean, you, you know, even as you're sitting here looking through the book, looking at these ads, that was the point, right? Like, what advertisement do you take time to look at, James, in anything that you do in your life where you actually notice it? And we don't. I mean, when we see commercials, we mute them, we fast forward through them. Uh, when you, you don't, no one pays attention to billboards. Uh, you know, we flip past magazine ads. I mean, anything, display ads on, on websites, no one looks at them and actually takes time. And, and I've, I've created that in multiple projects throughout my life, and I'm really proud of that. And I don't think it's a sustainable, scalable thing I can keep doing, but it's gotten me from point A to B to C. And, and I've, I've just really enjoyed, as stressful as it's been and as hard as, as it's been throughout the years, um, you know, I, I feel really kind of fulfilled in that I've been able to do that. Well, and you say, I underline this, you say on page 38, whether my financial situation was great or not so fantastic, I always tried to remind myself that at least I was in control of my life and running my own business the way I wanted, uh, the way the way I wanted to run it. So I really, I really think that's important. Like a lot of people say, oh, I'm not an entrepreneur. But all you did was... You, you essentially sold your body. I, I hate to put it in this prostitute sort of way. <laughs> you sold the, the, the shirt off your back and you you generated revenues of a million dollars. You had a business. You, you had ideas. You generated expenses. You made probably all the mistakes many first-time entrepreneurs made. But you lived life the way you wanted to. You did something creative and fun and exciting. It got your name out there. And I think it now, now your brand, if I'm going to call it that, I, and I hate to use your name as a brand, but you're, you, you've done this thing where, okay, I'm going to sell the shirt off my back. I'm going to sell my name. I'm going to sell the bottom page of my book. So you have this uh, creative side of you where you're selling inventory where nobody has ever found inventory before. So, so I imagine you tried to scale this, um, with people like, okay, four people can sell their shirts, five people can sell their shirts. And maybe that didn't work because they didn't have the same sense of identity searching that you had where actually selling the name on your shirt and your last name was incredibly meaningful to you. So maybe that's how it didn't scale in some way. I don't know. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. And I think, you know, over the years, I really realized that, that, you know, 
and, and no one's going to work as hard as you are on your own projects, right? That was a big thing that I, I realized when I started hiring people. Um, and they were all amazing people. I mean, I don't have a bad thing to say about them. It's just none of them were going to work as hard as I was on, on the project that really defined who I was. You know, and, and I'll bring up something that, you know, a lot, maybe some people even are thinking about this as they're listening to this interview, is that, you know, I've been called a sellout more times than I can count, you know, in an Excel spreadsheet. Um, and, and I think that's always funny. And I've, I've always thought that that was interesting because, you know, like you said, you know, you sold the shirt, you sold your body, whatever. Um, and, and the media that leads people to say you're a sellout. And, and I think that, you know, every project I've done, I've been paid and I've enjoyed it. I've thoroughly enjoyed what I've done and I've controlled it and, and I've been paid for that. And, and I don't consider that selling out. What I consider selling out is when people take money for doing things that they don't like doing, like working a shitty nine to five job or, you know, starting a company and not knowing when to walk away. And I'm guilty of that. I mean, I didn't walk away probably soon enough from when I should have. But, you know, I think so many people just have this 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 view that, you know, if you do things, you know, wildly different or if you sell something that people don't naturally sell, uh, you're, you know, you're selling out, you're doing something crazy. All of my projects are completely reversible. Yeah, I might have to go to the court to change my last name, but it's not like it's a tattoo on my forehead. It's not like it's, you know, it's something that I can't, you know, get rid of or that's going to define me for the rest of my life. Or even if it was a tattoo on your forehead, again, if you enjoy it and if that's what you want to do, sure. then I, I agree very much with your definition of selling out. Like, eventually, we're all exactly the same. We're all dead. So we're all just... <laughs> and most people... Um, are exactly the same long before that, you know, when they stay in those jobs where they're unhappy. Um, so, so the choice is, do you choose to be the same as everyone else before you're dead or do you try to be as different as possible until you're dead? Um, and you've definitely made or making a strong attempt to be your own person and do your own way and to not sell out by doing what you enjoy doing. And I, th and I think that's very credible. No, I, I appreciate that. I think it's a it's a great definition as well. And and I don't know, I think it's it's interesting because I was I was actually kind of getting not nervous to come on your show because I've done a lot of interview stuff and I don't get nervous for it, but I don't have like a next thing necessarily that I'm like, oh well go check out this thing and I'm really you know I'm kind of lost right now. And 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 last year I went through like a, a big lost phase and I, I came out of it and I wrote the book and that made me, you know, I feel good about it. And I've got some other stuff, I've got plenty of other business stuff I'm working on. But I don't have like this thing that like wraps me all together and that like I'm known for this guy, uh, you know, for this stuff. And like this is what I'm doing now and how I take that forward from here. And I just I don't know. I thought that was interesting. I wanted to bring it up because I think a lot of people listening that are out there probably don't know what their next thing is or, or they don't have everything all put together. And you're probably the same way in some respects. And that's OK. Right. You, you just you can do what you can do and, and you are who you are and, and you just kind of use those things and go forward and see where kind of life takes you next. Well, well, and, and to address that, nobody can predict the future. Mm -hmm. So people can't even predict tomorrow's weather, and yet they try to predict where their career is going to be six months, five years, ten years out. And it's it's impossible. So, yeah. so and like you wrote, um, and I underline this here on page 44, instead of seeing boundaries, learn to see opportunities to improve, to create, and to do uncon unconventional things. So... That's not necessarily a plan for six months from now. That's a plan for today. So right. so I always tell people, come up with ideas today, and that's how you're going to start to kind of figure out what tomorrow is going to look like. Tomorrow is only going to be based on the thoughts that you think today and nothing else. You're not going to suddenly think new thoughts tomorrow, you know, unless you kind of pave the way today for those thoughts. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think the other thing there, too, that I've realized over the years is that you need help. 
right? And I, I've always tried to do things myself, and I think that's because of you know a lot of my childhood and the way that I grew up, and I didn't have a strong father figure, so that's probably leads into a lot of that um, in our therapy session we're having here. Uh, but you know, I think it's it's really. For me, last year, I started asking for help, and I started to say, like, I, I can't do all this on my own. I've tried. I went into debt. Like, I didn't understand, you know, finances enough, and I had to learn that the hard way. And, and that's, that's you know, it's good to have those things happen because you learn from them, and you won't repeat those mistakes, hopefully, and you know this very well. Um, and I felt like I finally started to ask for help from people when I, you know, when I really needed it, and, and that's been huge for me. And, and that can be helping just finding ideas, right? Find someone that you can collaborate with who you can, you know, brainstorm or you can, you know, just shoot the shit with, and, and they're not going to, you know, belittle you or criticize you or, or give you too much feedback that is going to make you feel offended. You, you're going to feel like you can trust them and you can lead you to your next thing or whatever that is. And, and, and so that's what I've been doing for getting myself out of this kind of lost phase is just starting to lean on people and do different projects and kind of see where the road takes me. Well, and you, you talk about this, you talk about, uh, for, you know, people should form a trust circle. So who is your circle of people that you trust and you can bounce ideas off of and who maybe have the skills to, to help you or that you could ask advice from. And, and I yeah. think everybody should build a trust circle. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, and, I know, have my trust circle, certainly. Yeah. And, and I think it's great because they'll give you, you know, real feedback. They're not just going to, you know, I love my mom to death, but if I take any idea to her, she's, she's, you know, she's probably going to say, okay, you can do that. You know, she's my mom. Right. So it's, you got to find people who will give oh, you, you have a much back. better mom than me then. My mom would say, <laughs> you don't do that. Just get a job. Well, you know, I think my mom's been worn down uh, over the years with the I wear your shirt thing, with the last name sale, with the book. You know, at this point she's just like, all right, whatever this guy's going to do, this kid of mine, uh, he's going to do it. Um, yeah, but I think it's really important, and and I just, I was, I'm a very much not ask for help, very proud person, and and after you know going through some lows last year, like I mentioned, and I, I talk about in the book a lot, um, asking people for help was just, it was huge for me, and it was really hard, but it really led to some great things, and and just kind of turned stuff around for me. Yeah, so I mean, I even see it, um, you know, in the book, and and it's funny actually, like this is the first time we've ever spoken. But yep. it's funny, again, we're talking about the one degree of separation. You have on the back cover Gary Vaynerchuk, who's a friend of mine. You've talked about Chris Brogan, who's a friend of mine. The cover of your book was designed by the guys who, who built my comic book. But I, I have the strangest two degree of separation with you. You mentioned um, Peter Shankman from Help a Reporter Out. Yep. And he was a great help to you, I guess, at some point in, in, in getting press. Uh, yeah, actually, I, I paid Peter about $18,000 in the first two years of I Rear Shirt to buy ads for, for Haro. So uh, Haro, Haro, however you say it. Um, yeah, it was it was great. I mean, I, you know, I basically I people paid me to advertise and then I paid Peter to advertise, you know, what I was doing. Um, so, you know, him him kind of getting me, you know, in that in that space and, and, and sharing my project with people was very helpful. So and 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 so here so I don't know Peter at all but here's the weird degree two degree of separation. So before I met Claudia, my wife, uh, this is early 2009 or late 2008, I was obsessively on J date trying to meet somebody <laughs> online. And there was this one girl who I really wanted to meet and we kept kind of making a uh, 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 suggested day uh, but then she would totally blow me off. And finally I figured forget it. I'm uh it she clearly doesn't want to meet me. And it's because she was probably already dating Peter Shankman, who she married and now has a kid with. <laughs> that is, this world is so small. It, you know, it's so funny. We, we think we live in this like ever expansive space where there's so many people, but 
like you said, we've never talked before and we have more connections. And, you know, this happens probably with so many people until you start talking about it. But that's hilarious. I, I love that. And I didn't mean to laugh at the fact that you were on J-Date. I just, you know, like I've seen pictures of you and Claudia. And like, you know, I just think it's funny to picture you, you know, having to use J-Date when I, you know, I just don't imagine you needing it. But it's, it, you know, it's funny. I met Claudia on J-Date. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, and that's that's a testament to like online dating, right? I mean, I think this is another interesting thing. I mean, I love my girlfriend to death. We live together. I think we're going to be partners for life, hopefully. Um, it, but if I had to go online and date right now, and this is completely tangential, but I would use online dating. It's a great way to filter, you know, going, you know, to the bars or whatever. You're not going to find the right person. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's awesome. I'm 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 very happy to hear that it worked out well for you. So so okay, so you've done. You say you don't know what the next thing is, so let's let's brainstorm some ideas, and let me just throw some stuff at you. Um, first off, why don't you get you've built a whole infrastructure for changing the name and for auctioning it off and for generating a good amount of money? Like, take any you know grad student in the world or twenty two year old in the world, if they could make seventy thousand a year selling their name or even forty thousand a year selling their name, they would do it. Why don't you? Um, find five people who have to apply uh, to, to get positions to sell their last name. And then you'll take care of all the publicity for them, you know, combined with their own uh, network and strengths. So when uh, when the first auction finished, I had probably a flood of a couple hundred emails of people that were like, I want to sell my last name. I want to do all these things. And I, I actually saw it as a business opportunity. And I was like, whoa, light bulb moment. I should become a broker for people's last names or like a last name pimp, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then I thought about, you know, okay, this is interesting, but this is actually the same exact thing that happened with I Wear Your Shirt, where I would get hundreds of people that applied every year, and we had applications for people to become official t-shirt wearers, and we would pay them to do that. And um, it, it just, it didn't scale the same way, because at the end of the day, people were always buying because it was me, not necessarily just because of the idea. Um, because I brought a bit of social following, um, I brought a bit of notoriety, you know, I, I, you know, I had the connections to get, you know, media outlet stuff. And, and so I could probably do that with a couple people, but I don't think it's a scalable thing. And, and honestly, it's not something I'm passionate about, right? I mean, I, you know, selling other people's names is not something I would like to bring up at a conference when people go, what do you do? You know, I would, I would kind of feel like a sleazeball to be honest. Um, but I, I've definitely thought about it. And I still, to this day, I get like a random email every week of someone saying like, I want to sell my last name. Do you think it'll work? And I just tell people go for it. You know, I, I don't care. You, you could, people might call you a copycat, but you know, if you can make it happen, you know, make it happen. Um, and I'm, I just, I just don't think it's one of those things that will continue to scale, you know, going forward. Well, well, okay. So there's an interesting thing there and I, and I dealt with this. So I started this company stockpicker.com in 2006 and, uh, true to myself, I did not do any competitive research at all. <laughs> and after I'd already spent like maybe 10,000 or so, you know, on designs and starting a site and everything, uh, I realized there were actually four major competitors that were already done and finished and up and running. And I was nowhere near up and running yet. And I literally started to cry. But what I realized after I started my business is that I had the passion to do this site and nobody else had the passion to do this site. And so they all they all failed and I succeeded. I had like a million users a month to my site. And the reason is, is because I was the one with the passion. It really boils down to the entrepreneur. This is where the idea, I don't want to say ideas are a dime a dozen because we already refuted that, but this is where the person himself or herself is much more important than the idea. 
Right. And, and I think you bring up an amazing point there in that, like, so many times I've created these ideas and I've done, you know, almost no research. I mean, like we said, the last name I joked about going to the second or third page of Google, like, that's the extent of the research that I do. I honestly think that's kind of powerful when you're creating stuff. And so I'm actually working on a, a, a building a new business, which is a really boring kind of SaaS product. Uh, but I just want to try it because I've never tried anything in that space and it's solving a problem that I had. And then people said they wanted it. So I'm doing it. Um, but I, I, I actually tried to not look at any, any ways any other company was doing it because I thought I don't want to adopt their bad habits into my business, even if those habits don't look bad on the surface. I want to do it the way that I want to do it in the way that I've done all my projects and see if it works that way. And then maybe I can learn from some of the stuff that they've done. And maybe that's a bad way to look at things. But sometimes I feel like we get so caught up in copying someone else's or, you know, Austin Cleon, steal like an artist. You know, I think there are little things you can steal and inspiration and that type of stuff. But so many times that's why yours worked was it wasn't because you copied everybody's thing perfectly. It's because stock picker was the way that you wanted to do it and the way that you thought it would work. And it ended up working. Right. And I think that for so many people, they, they want to start their own business or their own thing and they get too busy in research mode um, and they don't just start doing something the way that they would want to do it and that they're passionate about. I think you're right. People get stuck in research mode. And like what you did with, um, you know, selling your name, you, you wrote, you did two levels of email. So first you wrote to your, the email, your, your, your basic email list. Then you built an email list of uh, 600 people who were interested in learning about your new project. Then you emailed them. So you actually kind of asked people right away to help you out and maybe bid for your name or start your new project. Like when you go out there and you actually use your network, you, you, you do something. You're actually beginning to execute on your idea. You're beginning to build your customer base even before you have the product ready to sell. And I think and that's, I think that's a very important lesson actually. Like I, I think Noah Kagan said on, on the podcast I did with him, if he wanted to start a restaurant, he, rather than like renting out a big space and hiring a chef and doing all this, the first thing he would do is invite 30 of his friends over, charge them $30 each, cook meals for them and see what they like. Yeah. I, and I, I love Noah. I listened to that episode and I think it's one of the best episodes that, that you've had on, on the show. And it's been and a I very popular that, episode. Yeah. I mean, I think, and it's just Noah's a real guy. Right. And I think he, he went through a lot of things that, that I kind of went through and, and I actually leaned on him. He's in my trust circle for, you know, in full transparency. And, um, I don't know if he knows that, but now he does. And, uh, you know, and, and I think it's just, it, it's such an interesting thing where it's, we just get so caught up in trying to like build the business plan and do all these things and all this stuff. And I even had someone comment on Facebook yesterday on this business that I'm building for this SaaS product. And he was like, well, you know, what are your, what are your goals? How can we help you? And I'm like, you know, listen, I really appreciate that you want to help. And I, I see where you're going with this, but making goals is like making revenue projections, right? I mean, it's, they're worthless until you actually start doing something. And yeah, it's great to have things that you can try and strive for, but until you actually put it out there and get people to put their money where their mouth is and buy the thing or do whatever, you don't need to worry about the rest of that stuff, at least in my experience. And maybe that's because I'm not building, you know, $100 million companies uh, that, you know, make big impacts or change. But the stuff that I'm working on that I think most people are working on, just start doing it. Just start taking action with it. Yeah, you know, and it's um, so, OK, so let, let's brainstorm again. So so you can't <laughs> you can't sell inventory on people's last names, but you, you do have this uh, clever aptitude for finding ad inventory where nobody else has looked like I've never seen a book with ads on the bottom of every page. I've never seen someone auction off their last name. I've never seen someone auction off, uh, 
uh, a shirt a day uh, that they would wear. So so it, it's 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 very clever. What about um, things where you normally don't see inventory? So for instance, let's say um, um, a big employment agency. And I write a million checks. Let's say I'm a big temp agency like Manpower, and I write, you know, five million checks a month. Well, there, there's five million pieces of ad inventory <laughs> uh, to sell, um, and it could be highly targeted as well. Yeah, well, absolutely. And and I think you know this this boils down to the discussion that we had about passion, right? And and I think you know trying to and and I've done this. I mean, I've I've tried to shoehorn sponsors into projects and advertisers into projects you know, so many times. I mean, I've done tons of other stuff that's not even, you know, near the success of the ones that we mentioned. And and I think that the, what it comes back to for me is that it was never really because I had this, like, interest in working with all these companies. It was more that, like, I just like telling stories. And where I got started with telling stories was telling other brand stories. Um, and so now, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in this place where I like doing projects, but I like even more telling the story of that project. Um, and so, you know, I... I I, I don't know how that that fits into things and and right now I'm just being fully transparent on building this kind of this next project um, and I'm well, what kind of is the next project so it's a SaaS product what does it sell um, it's gonna help people build online courses um, and it's and and actually I'm I'm going like the simplicity route and there's Skillshare and there's Udemy and there's all these things that, that help you build courses but I've built one platform that is completely skinnable. Um, it, it's based on one framework, so you can't change it. Um, the colors can be changed, the content can be changed, but I've just found that like when there's too many options and when people try and build your course for you, I don't know, it just doesn't, it didn't seem to make sense for me. So it, again, it's not a sexy product, but I think it solved a problem for me and everybody that I showed it to that might be working on an online course was like, I need this. Like this is so much less bloated than every other thing that's out there. How can I get my hands on this now? And so I, I started building it. But what I've done with my email list is every week I'm telling them, here's exactly what I'm doing with this project. I'm sharing all the details, you know, what my co-founder is working on, who's the technical guy. I'm basically just kind of the, the you know, the thoughts and the marketing and, you know, kind of the experience um, on it. And, and we're just going through and sharing it. And I actually, I, I don't love necessarily building the product, but I love sharing the process of how the product is being built and the struggles that we're facing and all the things that we're going through to kind of get it to, uh, to its next steps. I don't well, know how that becomes a profitable thing, but. Well, here's, for instance, what I need. OK, so in terms of that. So uh, let's say I build a course under Udemy or Coursera or whatever. It's under that umbrella. Exactly. And I don't necessarily want to brand a course under Coursera. I might want to brand a course under jamesaltucher.com. Like yep. here's the Choose Yourself course under jamesaltucher.com and have no mention of Udemy or Coursera or whatever. Will you be able to do will – will your product be able to do that? Yep, that's exactly what we want to do. So, so, so that's a great idea, I think. Yeah, and and so you know, I'll give credit to Fedora. They're a they're a, a kind of thing that's usefedora.com. Um, well, I, I just full disclosure, I'm an investor in Use Fedora. Oh, nice. So they they do some of that already, but again, I, I just I don't know. I looked at Fedora, and the pricing was a little bit high for what I was looking for, and and I think it's what? great. But <laughs> and uh, and and I was just you know I was like. I want to do it where there's no price per user, there's no price for amount of courses. You know, it's unlimited users, unlimited courses. You know, we're not going to host any content, so it doesn't cost us anything to set these things up. All we're going to do is just give you a skinnable thing. Um, and like I said, I mean, I, I don't think the the building of SaaS products is like what I want to do. I think it's it's just sharing with people the story of taking on a project and here's what I'm doing and here's how you can follow along. 
Um, and, and I've helped a lot of people over the years. I mean, you mentioned the guy, Jason Marco, who's the artist, um, and, and he's incredibly talented. But, you know, I've really helped him understand the business side of it and how we built it and how to tell his story and, and how to get it out there and to do it in an interesting way. And I've helped lots of people do that over the years. And and consulting is not something that I'm necessarily, you know, in love with because it's, again, not a scalable thing. And, and the reason why I keep bringing up that things aren't scalable is because I've done so many projects that haven't been scalable that I'm trying to find places where I can make money and I don't have to be working every second of the day to make that money. And then I can, you know, that'll the passive income in quotes, um, get that going with some project that maybe isn't as sexy or as crazy. It's going to get New York times exposure and then play around with other stuff. Right. And have fun doing other things. Um, and then just not build a nine to five job for myself. Cause that's really what I did over the years too, that I realized was I'm now working every single day, but yet I'm working for myself. Why am I like constraining myself to work seven days a week, you know, nine hours a day. Well, not seven days a week, but you know, for the most part, you were working seven days a week with the t-shirt thing. Right. And I, I, I burned myself out after working 889 days straight um, and thinking that I could be superhuman and, and, you know, never take a day off because I loved what I was doing. But um, yeah, it just doesn't work that way. And I just like now I like I don't take calls on Friday. I barely work on Friday on the weekends. I pretty much try and like laze around. And now that football season's on, like I'm Sunday, like you're not even going to see me on technology. Um, and so it's just I, I've really realized that we become entrepreneurs and we become business owners and we, you know, people have said this before, but you create a new nine to five for yourself and you become your own worst boss um, because you do these things. And I'm just trying to get away from that um, and do that. And this is not to discredit your brainstorming because I am incredibly appreciative of it. And I think it's fun um, just kind of giving you my my perspective on on you know what I'm thinking about. No, what's interesting to me, though, is is that you have to stay true to your core and what was happening with you, it, seem, it seems like your business was very much, all of your businesses have been very much related to your, your very extremely personal quest for identity. Like, yep. you know, the multiple fathers, the, your mom getting, a, your, literally, your mom telling you she was getting a divorce triggered immediately your new business, which was sell <laughs> by your last name, which generated, yeah. you know, some profit for you. It was a, a nice little profit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, maybe, maybe I just need to keep going through like, you know, the ups and downs of life to keep having projects kind of fall on my lap. But it's like you said, we can't predict the future. You know, well, we don't well, know. Well, well, what happened though was, so you built these different businesses and it builds up a core skill set. So now you know, okay, how to get some press, how to do an auction, how to build an e-commerce site, how to um, how, how to have a profitable business versus an unprofitable business, which yeah. is you can only learn from failing at one business and then going into another. Yeah, so, which is which is why I think it's and this is a whole other topic of discussion, but like our education system and trying to teach people how to be entrepreneurs. And I just think it's a complete joke because there's no risk involved when you're in like a, a college system or in any system where you're trying to learn how to take risk. Until your money is being put out there and your skin is in the game, you're not going to learn anything. Um, you know, and, and I think that there's just, just a true sense of people think that they can learn how to become business owners in a class or in a, a secure space. And until you actually put your money where your mouth is and you build something and it fails and you have struggle and you do these things, you're not going to learn that stuff. And, and that's where I was six years ago. I mean, I totally thought that I could just you know, learn this stuff and do it. And it, it was until I started actually doing it that you know, everything really changed for me and I realized that. Um, and I think that, you know, even just reading and knowing some of your story, you know, you've learned so much from your experiences, but you've also repeated stuff too. And, and I've done the same thing. And I, 
I don't know why we do that as, as human beings. Like, why do we repeat these, you know, these same things over and over again? And it's until I think we have to take like a drastic change or ask for help or, you know, do something really different that we can really kind of, you know, do better things for ourselves. I, I think the ask for help is very critical. And I also think kind of, you know, it's like you say, we don't really know why we do these things. So so the part of our brain that actually has thoughts with words is a very extremely small part of our of our overall brain. So what motivated you to do a lot of these things, you might never really know kind of the deeper reasons. Like why sell your last name and not sell ad inventory on five million checks a month, for instance? Well, right. you're not interested in one and you're interested in the other for, for reasons that that go quite deep. So the question is uh, and I'll, I'll pose this to you, even though there's no solid answer. How does somebody in general, you know, someone's in, in, the, in the cubicle, but they're unhappy. They'd like to figure out something a little more entrepreneurial. They're not going to create Facebook or SpaceX or whatever. They just want to um, have like what you described on page 38, more freedom in their lives. How do they start to begin on the path? of finding out what they might be passionate about, what's their core, so they can start doing like what you did? Yeah, I mean, I think, it, and, and this is a question that I, I actually talk with a lot of people about, and I think that it, it comes down to writing down a list of things that you're passionate about, and then basically ranking those on where will you put a lot of effort into, right? And it's that Mark Cuban code of, you know, don't follow your passion, follow your effort. And I think that where you can meet in the middle on those things, especially when you're working a nine to five job or you're you know, working for somebody else, it's to find something that you're passionate about that you can work on and then take action on it, right? Like don't do a bunch of research for months. Don't do a bunch of planning. for Just build something incredibly small and just do it and learn from that experience. You may never use that business again. That thing may be a terrible failure, but until you actually do something, you're never going to take the next step forward. And and so, you know, I, I kind of have this this thing where I talk about, you know, taking action and you're either going to have success or fail with that action, right? And whatever that means to that definition is for you. If you have success, repeat that thing and try and scale it. If you have failure, okay, analyze why that failed, maybe get feedback from other people and then adjust that and move forward. Um, and I think that's just a really important way for anybody trying anything is, is to not get sucked into... I don't know if it's going to work and I you know I'm afraid to try something and you know I don't I don't want to you know make a mistake. So what? You're not going to get anywhere if you don't actually do something and you don't actually take action and try and you know make something new for yourself. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when I was reading some of your your different ideas, um it made me think of a business I tried to start, I guess in like 2007 or 2006. Um it was called uh, uh I called the idea Jungle Smash. I don't know why I picked that name. And the <laughs> idea was uh, I was going to crowdsource ads. So I picked up a, a major brand like Crest mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't in, I didn't get Crest permission or anything. And I said, I'm going to give a thousand dollars to whoever makes the best Crest ad and uploads it to YouTube and links to it here on this uh, site. And I had the site junglesmash.com at the time. And um, something like 20 or 30 people uploaded videos and even Procter & Gamble, which owns Crest, uploaded some videos and they wanted to <laughs> talk to me about it and um um so so then the next one was for monster drink you know the energy drink and uh i thought it might be an interesting business but you know and the idea was i was going to auction off the slot so mm -hmm. whoever wanted to be the next thing that i would crowdsource uh would have to pay so maybe a brand would pay me, you know, $50,000 to be in the next month's auction. 
or, or you know, or crowdsourced commercial. And but what happened was is that it's not that the business failed because uh, I think if I kind of hustled, I could have done something there. It's just that I com- I was I completely lost interest and I didn't yeah. want to do it anymore. Yeah, and I think I think a lot and, of times, and it's not like I was so wealthy I could have said, ah, who cares? Like it would have been nice for that business to work. Well, and I think a lot of times I realize this about myself is that we're afraid to let go, right? We're, we we invest the time to start something and to build something, and it's like, oh, well, I can't let this thing go because you know X, Y, or Z. And I feel like you know you have to be willing just to say this was a mistake or this was you know it doesn't have to be labeled a mistake. This was the thing that I did. And I don't want to do it anymore. And now I need to move forward. And a, a lot of times we we just force ourselves to keep doing things that we don't want to be doing. And and I've been there. I mean, even in like the I wear your shirt thing, I probably should have stopped two years prior. Um, but it wouldn't have led me to where I was. And that's OK. But it, it's just, you know, you, you have to figure out for you when the time is to let go and to move on. Um, and it's really hard. It's not easy to do that. But you, you could get yourself down a path where then you it's harder for you to get out of and start your next thing. So, so, um, it's hard for people to know, like sometimes, sometimes there are difficulties and you have to get through those difficulties as opposed to saying, I don't want to do this anymore. And I think it takes experience to really know, you know what? I just, this is not for me. Right. And what's the difference there too, right? There's a big difference in, I don't want to do this because it's hard and I don't want to do this because it's not bringing me any value anymore. Right. I mean, there's, there's, there's two different approaches there. And, and I think that you and I are both of the mindset that we'll work as hard as we can on something and until our you know our fingers are bleeding but if it's not bringing me value and I'm not enjoying it I'm not going to do it anymore I'm not going to jungle smash any more videos yeah no and I thought somebody else kind of I gave the idea away and someone else tried to start it I don't know I don't know whatever happened with it um so so what um you're you're building the you're you're building this SaaS product for online courses. I love the idea. I love the idea so much. I'm invested in your competitor, your more expensive <laughs> competitor. Um, but but let me know if you ever want an introduction to them because I'm happy to make that introduction. Um, and uh, and when did the book come out? Creativity for sale. What was the exact day? Uh, June third of this year. So I highly recommend it because not only for the stuff we talked about. But I think that there was a lot. There's a lot of things in general. I think for good basic online entrepreneurship, like how to create a landing page, how to essentially get that funnel to the landing page, how to get your first users, how to build up initial press, and you know, and you interweave it with your story, which is why I think, like you say, you don't know whether this is a good book or not. But here's what I think a good book is: it's when you when you entertain and provide value at the same time so you told your personal story you have a lot of transparency like you tell how you met your girlfriend like you have embarrassing moments you Mm -hmm. you you kind of are are very revealing in here and and you educate like i think it's a good guide to how to start a basic online business that that everybody should get like people ask me all the time where do i go how do i start online business okay buy this book creativity for sale and it's going to tell you how so i think it's a good book I really appreciate that, James. I mean, it means a lot. I, I know that we're, this is the first time we ever chatted, as we've mentioned before, and, and that you know those those types of recommendations, you know, I know are are, are very important from you, and and I, I thank you for that. And and I, you know, the book for me is it, it's it's really it was an exciting project because I'd never done it before, and I, it was very difficult on the sponsorship side of it. You know, not necessarily on the writing side because I had roundtable companies and they were amazing. Um, but I, I yeah, I, I kind of look forward to writing another book, and I'm not sure if I'll repeat the sponsor thing. It seems like I. 
I, when I have a successful project, I tend to try and repeat it at least one other time. So um, maybe I'll do that. Uh, but yeah, right now I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying kind of putting the book out there in the world. You know, it's not as easy to get a book in front of a lot of people as, as I probably was when you were on Amazon a couple of years ago. But um, I'm just very excited for the people who've read it so far and have emailed me and um, have taken fun photos with it. And uh, yeah, it's just been uh, it's been really fun. Yeah. And it's funny, like even, you know, again, like I'm amazed how many people you mentioned in this book that I know, like how come actually seriously, how come we haven't met before? <laughs> I don't do you, know. Do you not go? Like, I don't really leave New York City that much. Maybe you don't go to New York a lot. I come to New York, you know, once or twice a year. Uh, but that's really, yeah, it's it's interesting that we we haven't met before. And and I think it's funny when I was bring back Noah's uh, podcast real quick when he said he emailed you and you never emailed him back. I was dying laughing because uh, I just thought that was funny. Like I I think I kind of knew that about you, and I was just like, ah, I could reach out to James, but I don't know if he's going to reply. And he's a busy guy, so you know, and I don't have any value to offer you. So it would just be me being like, hey, man. Uh, what's going on? You know, let's just chat. Um, you, you know, it's funny. I got an email last night from somebody who I hadn't emailed with in about a year. Uh, and she was very upset, like that I hadn't emailed her in a year. And I didn't even th think about it during that year. Like it wasn't, it's just that I've been busy, but she said, but she was very insulting. Like you have, you haven't emailed or responded to my emails in a year. And look, I tried to respond to emails, but as you know, sometimes it's difficult or I'm, I'm lazy or I, I focus on my writing projects and my podcasting. So it, it becomes a choice of where you, you put your time. And, uh, but it, but it like, like I felt bad with, with when I said that to Noah, I didn't remember his email, <laughs> but, um, I always try to look at my emails and see, you know, what's there, but I don't, uh, unfortunately I don't, I have to make a choice. I don't always respond to emails. Yeah. And that's, you know, it, it, it's one of those things, too, where I think if, if I had a reason to get connected to you, I would have, you know, I would have gone like six different ways to try and, you know, get connected to you. And I'm sure it would have worked in some way. And I think that's a lesson for anybody. If you want something badly enough, don't just send one email. Right. And and I'm a I'm a firm believer in the follow up email. I mean, I'll send follow up emails until I'm blue in the face and until I piss somebody off, because if I want something badly enough, I'll go and get it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really interesting. You bring up email. I was like, email was such a burden for me. I mean, I was attached to my inbox like crazy and I'm still kind of attached to it and I'm trying to detach a bit. Um, and social media was the same frame for me. I built my entire life on social media, you know, in 2008 and nine. Um, and so I've, I've really tried to let go of these things and I've, it's tough, but it's, they're like drugs. They really are. You're like addicted to them. And when you can finally wean yourself off, you realize, oh wow, I can spend time building things, writing things, helping other people, doing things I really enjoy and not just refreshing feeds and looking at notifications and, you know, reading emails from a lot of people who are just emailing because they want to make a quick buck doing something that you've done. Well, the thing I the thing I do is if I, you know, you you know, through experience and we all know what that addictive feeling feels like, oh, I've got to check my Twitter connect or I got to check my Facebook feed or my email. And so whenever I start feeling that way, I say, look, I'm going to replace this feeling with I'm going to sit down with a notebook or a book and I'm going to try to be creative. And I always try to replace creativity with any of those addictions. And some of those addictions might be, oh, I'm angry at somebody or I uh, feel like I should call somebody. All of these things are addictions that I try to replace with just my creativity. Because, again, one of these days I'm not going to be here anymore and I'm going to have two legacies. I'm going to have my children and I'm going to have um, kind of the things that I created and yeah. I'm not, 
my emails are going to be gone. Like those are going to disappear. <laughs> they definitely are. And I'm surprised that they're still in existence with everything that we're doing. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's a really good point. And, and I think that we just get so caught up in it and it's, it's so hard to let go of these things because there is such a, like a, a mental, like chemical response to the reaction that we get out of this stuff. And, and it, it's weird because it didn't exist 15 years ago, right? I mean, it, we, we all lived the lives before that that didn't involve any of these things. And now we're incessantly like, I'm surprised our thumbs don't all have blisters from the amount of time we spend scrolling and clicking and doing things. Um, and there is a whole big world out there that can entertain you and, and bring you value and, and do stuff. And I'm saying this as someone who is getting over this myself. You know, I'm not trying to be preachy. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to reiterate to myself as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's really important. So, so. Final question. Later today, I have to interview uh, Coolio, the rapper. You know who he is? <laughs> yes, of course. So so he made that song, Gangster's Paradise. It was the, the top hit of all genres in 1995. And I have I have no clue what to ask him. So <laughs> you should you should ask him about cooking with Coolio, his YouTube I, series. Did you ever okay, see that? I've I've watched that series. <laughs> It's completely insane, and the <laughs> food is. looks horrible. It so does. I'm almost a little nervous bringing it up. But I am going to ask him about the transformation from rapper to chef, of course. Yes. But I, I think that show was made a little bit uh, tongue-in-cheek, so I'm not sure. We'll see. That's true. I look forward to listening to that one. And I, if I could, you know, you know, everyone I think always asks, like, what's one thing you want people to do? Um, not my selfish ask, uh, but something for your listeners. If they have not listened to Ramit's episode with you, you know I shared this on Facebook and I shared it on Twitter. It's probably one of the best podcast interviews, even with some audio glitches in it, as you already know, yeah. that I've ever listened to. I listened to it on a drive to Orlando and Seriously, there's so much great stuff in there. I had so many like light bulb moments, and I think that if people haven't listened to that interview of yours, I would unbelievably highly recommend it because I think it's just amazing. Yeah, no, uh, Ramit and I, I've been on Ramit's um, Brain Trust podcast before that that uh, his subscribers get, and we have a good kind of like um, we we've done some good good work together, and we've done I think now three podcasts together, and they've always been a lot of fun because he's got uh, uh, you know we. He's got a good sense of humor. He's he's done a lot of stuff. Uh, it's always interesting. It's funny, you know. I have kind of um, a lot of uh, I don't want to call them like I hate the word celebrity, but I've I have like household name guests. But mm -hmm. I always find the most valuable guests I have are people like you know, not that you're not a household name, but you, Noah, Ramit, um, all these people who have done a lot of like hard work and are willing to share it and create value like what we've talked about and what is mentioned in your book can actually help free free people from the grind so that's why again um i recommend people read this creativity for sale and um uh you know i hope people get it and and start their own businesses and and find that freedom that 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 you're finding yeah, I really appreciate that. And, and I, uh, you know, as a, as a listener and now uh, someone who's been on the show, I mean, I, I appreciate your authenticity. Um, and I just I hope that you never let anybody, you know, bring you down. And I, you talk about this in all of your stuff anyway, but I know that it probably creeps in your head of, you know, doubt on stuff that you share. And I just I know I get so much value and I, there's a lot of people out there to do that. So please don't ever stop doing that because you're an inspiration to to the little guys like me. Um, <laughs> And, and I, I'm willing to bet that I think Cooking with Coolio is going to be a, a big listen for your audience. So uh, I look forward to listening to that one. And I, I really do thank you for your time, James. I just really appreciate it. Okay. Th thanks a lot, Jason. I really appreciate that. Thanks.
Take care. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com. And get yourself on the free insiders list today. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.